so tonight we are talking about the subject matter of would artificial intelligence or AI be beneficial for us emotionally? Mm. First question: Why why are we talking about AI? Okay, I was um had had lunch the other day. I had this really really lovely lunch. I went to a new place I'd never been before. It was hosted by someone, and I went there and I sat down with the host and. We were talking about thank you letters and how when you send thank you letters to people, you, you know, it's, you find it quite difficult to write a thank you letter, which has got numbers of different things on it. So, you know, thank you so much for the wonderful meal. And, you know, the, the, the people were brilliant. The environment was great. And, you know, you kind of you do about three or four lines in your thank you letter and, and then you you seal it off and you post it off. Then we posed, what question could we ask an artificial intelligence platform to write a thank you letter for us? And so in this, as we started to pose this question, I did a search and I said, you know, a thank you letter for a wonderful stay at this place with a great lunch with these two wonderful people. Please compose this. And the AI was so beautiful it was it, it was it the the way that it constructed it, it hit every point absolutely perfectly so thank you so much for the delicious meal the salads you made were absolutely superb the tastes contrasted each other and zang in my mouth it went on and on and on and on and actually i copied it and i copied it word for word I went down and I was just like, word for word, copied this thing. And I wrote it and it took two sides of a, of a card and I put it and I posted it. And the host then contacted me and he said, thank you so much for your absolutely wonderful and very full letter. It was amazing. And thank you for the book to go with it as well. I really appreciated it so much. And he sent that via text message. So we find ourselves in a, a situation where... I'm, I'm asking the question with regard to AI, what's the big issue? You know, why are some concerned about the possibility of, you know, losing something, losing a job, losing something? Um, is that a reality? Will jobs actually be lost or will jobs be created? And um, why does some think that this is a threat to humanity and are against further development? Because as I see it, I got the most wonderful letter and I had to do little work to actually do it, you know? Why do others see it as a huge opportunity and a king to back its growth? Okay. Is AI development happening globally like an arms race? Okay. With each AI development group collaborating or not collaborating with each other, instilling a kind of neural pathway of generative learning in an AI based, you know, based on their actual culture. I mean, can AI outlearn humans? Or will we actually evolve or can we evolve to move beyond AI and it itself will become archaic? I don't know. These are sort of the questions that sort of came out of just sort of thinking about this and, and, and the use of AI and also the fact that, and one of the key facts with AI is that it isn't emotional, but it will affect us emotionally. And yoga is its own perspective on this, an idea around these different states of mind are different kinds of mind. And is AI itself just a, a different kind of mind in a particular state? It's just a number of, sort of questions that came up for me with regard to this. So simple questions come from a thank you note. Hmm, 
Just just a thank you note. It's just, <laughs> just purely, thank you. It was just purely a thank you note. That was it. I find that story very interesting because, as you know, I recently went abroad to attend a wedding of one of my old friends, like really, really old friends. And at the wedding, he actually wrote, or they actually wrote, uh, thank you notes to everyone, each and every single one of them, uh, and us saying, "Ah, oh, thank you for attending. I know you come a long way." But in every single note, he actually, well, at least from mine, because he he's a better friend with me than um, I'm with his wife. Um, put a little bit of caveat or stories or how we met or, you know, what was it like to actually reunion um, before the wedding, so on and so forth. So there's a little bit of the personal touch into it. So I I agree. I think I think the process of writing uh, thank you notes, especially from my AI point of view, may not be very emotional, but actually from the receiving end is a very, very emotional process because I was really touched by re- having read that note and thinking, oh, actually, jogged a lot of memories, our past interactions, so on and so forth. Now, the other thing is, neither you nor uh, neither you nor my friend actually outsourced the task of writing the thank you notes to someone else. You, well, you outsourced it to, to the AI, but you actually then write it yourself. You didn't ask someone else to do it for you. Oh, I, as far as I assume, you don't usually do it normally. You don't have a small mini on the side writing thank you next for you after every single lunch. Uh, and neither did my friend. So no one, technically speaking, loses jobs here. But I think I think lately I've been watching a lot on like social media or things like YouTube and things like that. And there are a lot of like experts or advisors are wondering, would we lose our job? Because actually we learn our experts from a huge volume of information and knowledge that we accumulated over the years with test and try and testing and, you know, separating what is good advice, what's bad advice, and then kind of come to our role. But actually artificial intelligence can do that very, very quickly because these information is already available. So is there a place that, or is there a stage and time in some, in some point in the future that we can be replaced? So, this poses a number of questions. Just the, why this why this is interesting to me is, for me, what I read in some of the ancient yoga texts, um, particularly the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Yoga Sutra, um, is this idea of role. Um, and the idea that actually what defines us as human beings and is what defines us as a human being, can it be replicated? Can it be, actually be imitated? And the question is, who am I within all of this? And I think that AI is bringing that question up because what is it that makes us so special? You know, because in fact, having something like this helps us to go beyond a, a mundaneness or mediocrity and actually find something different within ourselves. Actually, I would say that separates us is emotion and spirituality. And I, AI is actually the functioning of the intellect and the mind. That That's my... Do you see what I mean? And I think yoga is very clear on this. It kind of it draws out different states of mind, different kinds of mind that actually aren't a meditative quality of mind or a mind that is very reactive based on actually you used a key word, memory. Okay. Now it means that all AI is based on algorithms that are processed into it, which are memories that have occurred from the past. And based on that, it's brilliant in one way of predicting things. It's absolutely fascinating in the way that it looks at the rhythms and cycles of things. And that's what memory is useful for. And if you think about humans, we do exactly the same. 
you know you and i having this conversation and what happens is that it triggers something within you you jump back into your memory and then what occurs is you create a pathway forwards in the same way ai is doing the same thing but it does it much more efficiently than most human beings and not only that it does it consistently and not only does it do that it operates on a 24-hour seven basis because if you catch me in one hour's time okay i'm going to be tired I'm going to make mistakes. So I will not make any mistakes at all. So when you start to look at this AI situation, I'm looking at it as in that actually it's the creation really from a yoga perspective of a form of, of different states and different kinds of mind that actually have processing abilities, identification abilities, you know, but they give us the opportunity to question a bit more about ourselves with regard to our role. You know, what is our role? Our role is not just recalling from memory, but actually add something else into it. Or assess it from a different way. Because I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering these questions because I was comparing, contrasting what is the difference between, let's say me teaching yoga, for example, mm. or, or giving medical advice. Uh, compared to an AI, because my patients and my clients can ask the AI exactly the same questions. Okay, well, let's say okay. let's take that example. I really like that example because actually, earlier on today, it was with a lady, and she turned around to me and she said, "I went to see a doctor about this operation. I've got to have this this you know, it's, it's a surgeon, and I've got to have this operation where actually they're reconstructing my bowel. They're doing this." And she said, "I really liked the doctor. He reassured me." He was absolutely brilliant. So if we look at AI, let's say in your field, the medical field, in what ways can it be, you know, advantageous? What what are the ways that it, it can really help? And actually where which areas can it not go into? So I think I think the reassuring bit is one thing, because that's the more human touch, that's more emotional experience where an artificial intelligence may not be able to provide, depending on how you ask your question. But also, I think that the AI can be very thorough in its information, in its knowledge, in its advice, and it can give you a lot of comparing and contrasting. In some way, in a lot of ways, it may be able to give more updated information than we can because it's more connected to the internet and all the rest of it. I, I slightly disagree with what you said earlier on about making mistakes. I think actually artificial intelligence can also make mistakes because the information that's already there sometimes has mistakes in them. And that's not at the fault of the AI. That's not the fault of human, really. It's just the mistake has happened long ago and it's there, like false information, fake news, they are all out there. And unfortunately, for better or worse, they are going to be enveloped into the information that there's going to be later on given out just because they analyze everything. I'm sure over time, actually, more and more AI can kind of separate the good advice versus the bad advice, especially if we've refined the algorithm better and better and better, like looking at the weight of the information, looking at where the information is coming from, looking at how many people actually then peer review the information, agree to it, disagree with it, challenging it. So these are all things that can be out there. My question really is, if we constantly rely on AI to give us the information, how can we tell rather is a good information or bad information from AI? Because it gives you as is, 
Whilst I think from a human touch point of view, like we said earlier on, when I answer a question and if I'm not sure, I might give off the emotion of doubt. I might give off facial expression or you know, posture that signify doubt. Actually, there is also, also almost like a subconscious skills that you can actually pick that up from. Or at least I, I hope I can. So for me, we've touched on three areas that I'd like to expand further with you. Um, the first is this idea within medical applications that world that you're very much involved in, which is to do with um, the capacity to look at a situation, scan images, um, you know, look at scans, look at images, look at statistics, look at diagnostics, look at these things. And actually looking at this diagnosis, diagnosis, looking at the imagery, how it how can it improve healthcare? And I think that actually that's the way forward at the moment within within healthcare is an improvement of healthcare through the use of this. And almost in a way, and, and there's numbers of different companies that have been set up at the moment, which are companies that sort of filter. So they filter, they, they, they do low-level diagnosis, first of all, through the IA methodology. And I know numbers of different organizations that are doing this and putting it in place with insurance companies. And I think it's absolutely fascinating what they're doing because they're putting in place all these different pathways to direct people in a good direction. And also to identify health issues as they're coming up as part of this. So when you do screening tests for insurance company, it will take, it will use AI in the background and it will create this sort of route for you to see if you're a risk or not a risk. Um, so I think, I think it is in a way it, it it's, it's doing really well. And I think it's, it's moving forward. However, for me on the emotional side, I hate filling forms in online. I don't know about you, but when you take any, when you go, when you sign up to it, I love them. I love them. No, 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 but but they are, you know, we want to know every single thing because you put it into the algorithm database. You want to filter it all out. You want to do, you know, have you ever had this? Have you ever smoked? Have you done this? Have you done that? So they'll go through a whole list of these different things. And in one way, it, do we do we give all the information don't we give all the information how much time sometimes it's so much better when you meet someone like you and i meet and you look at me and you just kind of go okay and sometimes we don't fill a form in and we just talk to someone and we get so much from actually talking to someone and i think that there's an area here if i consider the older generation a lot of the older people i'm working with like I spoke to someone two days ago and she said to me, I'm finding it very, very difficult because I don't have a mobile phone and I can't sign up for anything, even though I've got the internet, but everyone wants my mobile phone number and I can't get this and this because I don't have a mobile phone. And so in a way, what's being presented is again, another divide between those that have accessed and can access AI and those that haven't got access and can't access AI. And I think that with more AI being used within our society, there will also be an imbalance between those that have and those that haven't. And I think it'd be much more exaggerated. And I think interestingly, your, your second point or second example actually emphasize, I, I don't know if that's the right word, 
the my 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 question I a slight concern against your first point so when we first learn as doctors and nurses or our healthcare profession we all started with a form or a flow chart or a tick box exercise because we all have to learn somewhere kind of like when we first learn math we have to learn what is one what is two one plus one equals two like there is a flow isn't it like one step second step here first step yeah yeah we all learn all of that over time, the conversation and the skills can change. And we kind of have this kind of sometimes people call finesse or medical expertise or whatever you want to, or personality. We can slowly move off the form where we don't look at it all that much. We don't write things down as much, or eventually we can get a, go, you know, get rid of them entirely, actually just have a normal conversation, but still manage to get all the information. Correct. Now that can only happen if we have the opportunity to keep having these interactions, have making mistakes and learn from the mistakes and have supervisions about why certain things wouldn't work and certain things would work. And unfortunately, I think there's not much we can do in terms of reducing the time and effort needed for human to learn from these point of view. Now, obviously, everyone has a slightly different skill sets and personality or strength and weaknesses. So everyone will learn at learn a slightly different speed. But I think the time and effort needed to be put in, we haven't quite found a way to speed it up yet. Now, my my slight concern about speeding things up, in the, especially in like the medical scientific technolo technological bit is, actually, you also do away with some of the opportunity where we can learn things. So I'll give you an example. You know, I work in NHS hospital, mm -hmm. which open 24-7s. Yeah. So in A&E, we, ha we have patients coming in all the time and have x-ray so you know the chest radiograph or of the abdomen or whatever it may be nowadays we have technology so clever actually they can look at the x-rays or look at the radiograph compared to a lot of other ones our normal ones abnormal ones and find the same pattern and give you a provisional diagnosis mm. and probably somewhere about 99.9 .9 or 99.5 percent of the time you'll be right and will it be able to see imagery will it be able to look at this and actually being 99.9% right, will it actually help the, will it help you? And also will it pick up things that you can't pick up as well? Absolutely. And it's really, really good. And sometimes it picks these pattern up, even especially the smaller ones that are actually a little bit harder to look at with naked eye, actually really, really, really good at it. So I absolutely agree. They're mm. very good. However, most of the time, there are still a radiologist or radiographer at the end of um, at the other end of the table, where maybe not overnight, but in the morning they come in, actually review all the all the charts, especially all the urgent one, all the one that marks as important, like there's certain important diagnosis that you need to think about. Because mm -hmm. what happened then is actually they will look at the request as well. So the little short blurb that we write in the request saying, why do we want this uh, imagery to be done? Why this? Why we want this investigation to be done? And they may look at, jump to a different system, look at the blood test, look at what happened afterward, clinical notes, so on and so forth, and actually formulate, maybe what we see here is very early sign of something else. We need to do some more. So mm -hmm. instead of just giving a diagnosis, actually there's a plan. So I'm not saying that the AI is not great in recognizing all these small patterns and things like that. The problem is sometimes we still need the person at the end of the computer actually review things and then make further plans or actually sometime occasionally contradict what has been given. The problem is the more and more we rely on AI, how we're going to train a person 
at the end of the computer actually being able to give more is going to be my question. Okay, because what happens is there then becomes a gap, a gap between the progression of us and the way that we would step through to identify things and have an experience and be able to carry that knowledge and that education and pass it down from person to person to person. And almost in a way that role is taken, that experience is taken away. And that becomes the foundation for us to actually get to a, a level where we can discriminate and we can discern. And if that is taken away, where is, it's a little like when I first began training and there was a team of medical doctors and they, they used to, they used to take the pulse all the time by hand and decide when people would have their operations. And you, you and I talked about this before, haven't you? And suddenly it's like all of these things sort of start to disappear more and more and more. So that actually what's happening is that experience where has been passed down from person to person, from team to team, from generation to generation, suddenly becomes eroded and taken away because this other role has come in place, this other rule has come in place. So I, I really get what you're saying with this. Um, in a way, many people don't know that a lot of the scans and their scans are being compared with so many other different scans. They actually don't know this. They just, all they get is a, you know, a contact saying that actually, I think it'd be really, you know, can you come in for a meeting or can we speak to you about something? You know, something's come up. And actually, it means that the only experience that the person has is with the contact to say, you know, please come in and see us. And actually AI is, is, is working in the background. So it's it's hidden in the background in this way. But so much of this is going on already. And yoga is very interesting. It looks at this and it, and it says that there are so many decisions being made, but you actually just experience the outcome of decisions that you just cannot see. And for me, this is almost the AI experience. It's actually, we we experience other people's decisions that are happening, decisions that are being made, and we just experience these things. But actually, there's so much going on in the background. But in yoga, do we interact with these? Does it encourage us to interact with these decisions behind the background where we can't see? It encourages us to be aware that when you experience something, there are decisions that have been made in the background to create that experience that you're having. Yeah. So this is what, and this is why I, almost in a way for me, it, this is comparable to what we're doing with AI is that we are building a, another mind. I mean, if you think about the neural pathways that are being, and networks that are being built and compare those with neural pathways. So these things are being built and their power is so much, you know, it's so vast in comparison to us as human beings and so much more reliable as well, but it's all happening in the background, but we have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of what is going on. So in some way, it's almost a natural progression that these processes in the background will evolve and therefore we have to adapt to it. A hundred percent. And I also like what you said about um, bias, because there is a huge potential bias within all of this. So if you, you, when my thinking earlier on is that we've got 
almost like an arms race going on. You know, you've got different companies who have got their different AI platforms in all these different ways. You've got all these different companies, AI platforms, different ways. You've got these different countries putting lots and lots. It's very, very costly to build these platforms, by the way. It's not cheap. And so they're all kind of, everyone is sort of, you know, putting these things in place. And and if you think about it, there has to be algorithms. And those algorithms have to be set in place by someone so that actually or some group of someone's. Um, so there is a, a kind of like a, a bias. There is a bias that's in place. Um, let me do you know, a classic example, which is given by um, UNESCO. There's a gender bias. So UNESCO gives a gender bias and it says, okay, if you type into a search engine, um, type in schoolboy into a search engine and type in schoolgirl into a search engine, and then you get gender bias. Okay. So it's, it, and this is the example given by UNESCO, why search engines have, and, and what they do is they, they create biased results. They're not actually neutral at all. So they, they give these results based on preference, based on location, and they actually uphold biases and judgments. And all of it's AI driven. I so guess part of it is a part of it is also us driven as well because more often than not we will search for a result that is slightly more extreme than in the middle range for example say if i have a pain somewhere today i will i will probably search for something am i have do i have cancer am i gonna die instead of or am i gonna be okay it's never like is this just pain that is something that i need to work with which is somewhere slightly more in the middle so in some way even our behavior is kind of perpetuating the biases as well Correct. And that's the thing. That's why it reinforces the bias. And this is going on culturally as well. So imagine this is going on in different cultures completely as well. So in fact, it becomes very difficult to get out of the judgments and bias. It actually upholds the judgments and bias and reinforces them within our society. Because I guess right now AI can only go as good as we put as good as we have put information into it It hasn't quite evolved out of that pattern yet interestingly we were were going to talk about emotional side of using ai as well so i did a little search myself so i did this just earlier today which is on chat gpt i think it's one of these new engine that lots of people like to use so i said that's the one i use to write my thank you letter Ah, I see. Yeah. And I think it's really, really good because I, I asked the question, what should I do when I'm sad? And it gave a very, very lovely paragraph, starting with feeling sad is a natural human emotion that we all experience at times. Here are some tips that may help you cope with when you're feeling sad. One, which is acknowledge and accept your emotions and give a little bit of what's that about. Then two, reaching out to someone. Three, take care of yourself. Four, practice mindfulness. Five, seek professional help if needed. This is quite good and, if not quite general, advice. And I start thinking, it's like, well, if I'm, I, I, if I, if I'm giving those advice in my clinic room, I know I will start having conversation with my patient. So I then now pretend that actually I'm in the clinic room with the chat GPT, and I'm going to keep going with the conversation, which is, hmm, interesting. How do I acknowledge and accept my emotions? At this time, it took a lot longer to respond. 
and it starts somewhere general blurb again and it's like you know having having emotions very normal for human experience here are a few steps that you may want to consider identify one identify emotions something to recognize the validity of them three sit with your emotions four practice self-compassion and five express your emotions and I, i'm just trying to sit there and think is it helpful if i'm feeling sad already or will i feel even sadder because I, my answer my question hasn't really been answered mm. but what you see here is that you've actually found the limit of it there's a lack of creativity within this and not only is there a lack of creativity there is also there's no there's nothing new within any of those things it's just a repetition of the same things again and again and so actually what we find is that it's why I reiterate again and again and again, as human beings, we're really bad at emotionally processing. And we're also really, really bad at transitioning emotionally. And so in a way, if we're very bad at it and we're having to slowly educate each other with these things, it's it's like someone turning around and saying, you know, number one, you've got to let go. Number two, you need to accept. Number three, you know, you need not to judge. Number four, you need not to be hard on yourself. Number five, you know, you could give a list of things that actually mean that I, I, I'm fighting myself, I'm battling myself, I'm angry at things, I don't know how to do these things, and I'm frustrated. Do you see what I mean? It, I, it, 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 in an emotional way, what you've just presented there is, is hilarious because it, it, it's, you know, the question is how. And I think the only way we can how is when we hold hands with another human being, when we actually have another human being who is able to, we can trust, you know, that we can actually step through a process with them. Because again, I think there's a trust issue with this. You know, in one way we trust what it says, or do we? Because it may be, you know, they may have false information with it. But in another way, I think we, we, we mistrust these things too. So we look for validity within our feelings, you know, like, oh, I think I'm going to die because I've got this, this and this. And, you know, when we kind of we do a search on it and suddenly it comes up. Yes. It, it, you know, I've definitely got this condition. It's a nightmare. You know, there's one thing where we kind of we believe it. But there's another thing we don't believe it. Do you know what I mean by that? Mm. I, I think I think I think the mistrust is definitely then probably propagated a lot by the movies that we I, I have seen, starting with things like The Matrix, where where almost a human and AI often stand at opposite end of the movie. One's protagonist, one is antagonist. But I really like I really like how you said, and I always have really like how you said that actually we are very bad at emotional processing and transitioning. And I felt like exactly because we are quite bad at it or not born very good at it, we actually need more practice of it rather than having things to replace the need of these. Just like how we talked about earlier on, like training takes time, and I'm going to throw you another training because when when we had this topic, I it gave me the memory, it jogged me back to the memory of um, training as a surgeon, which you know I've done for a few years, and in quite a few of the centres ar around the world in London, we have slowly called um, these big and huge machines called the robotic surgeons. So they are literally like robotic arms hanging onto 
the patients once you open their body cavity that you want to operate on and you connect to the scalpels, you connect to the machine and then you kind of play like go onto the game consoles and you start playing on them. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, the area of surgical specialty that I was practicing in doesn't have robotic surgery. So I still had to do everything by hand. But a few of my colleagues, they have to start learning how to do robotic, robotic surgery because that's a new thing. They are better because, you know, with the robots, you get more clean and precision move, precise movement, which is a good thing because, you know, any hand tremors and things like that can cause a lot of mistakes, cause a lot of blood vessels and so on. Yes. Because I was going to say, I, I would shake my hand, would be shaking like this, you know? Yeah, one one of the reasons why actually I was okay as a surgeon because I used to pain a lot as a kid. So actually, my the transference of the skill having steady hand really did uh, really helped. So the the but the problem is, I think over time, what my colleagues have realized, they got really really good at doing robotic surgery, but that doesn't necessarily help them by doing better surgery that is not reliant on robots. Mm-hmm. So I think very similarly to the emotional problems that we're talking now. I do wonder sometimes how how helpful it is to translate emotional uh, interaction and processes and also social social interaction onto different medium. Because nowadays we have likes, we have how many views in our interaction in our in our online social media, and a lot of the time, like it or not, we kind of equate them to: Are we being popular? Do we are we liked by other people? Are, are, are we being supported by people around me? I, I have actually heard quite a few people where, oh, I think this person might like must have liked me because he 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 or she has looked at the stories I posted yesterday. Mm-hmm. A lot of people start thinking, oh yeah, yeah, they, they may that person may be interested in me because they could come and visit my stories. Whilst I think all of us knows actually sometimes these things just keep popping and you're kind of just scrolling them and you don't really pay attention or you click it away, but it's still marked as you have visited. So I do wonder with because precisely we we're very bad with emotional processing and transition already, having these new medium actually adding a whole new layer of language into it is it helpful? I think it makes it more complicated. I think it not only does it make it more complicated. I think that what you'll find is that also we become very much involved in this process and caught up in it. And we actually can't step back from it and see what's happening. We can't see ourselves within it. So if we could see ourselves within it, we would able to step into it and step out of it, be discerning within it and understand that actually it's there to serve us, not for us to serve it. You know, because one of the big benefits is the promises that actually it should make life much better for us. It should be a tool to actually, you know, make life better, make it easier to, you know, to it has huge capacity. It should be able to make, you know, go through things faster than we can go through to make very, very clear decisions. You know, it should actually free us up to be creative, you know, because one thing we are as human beings is we are naturally creative, which means we can develop and create things we can Whereas we don't want some, you know, we actually want an admin person to look after things and that AI should serve us to do that. However, if it's the other way around, where actually what we're doing is we're so heavily involved in it, so heavily involved that actually we can't see it, what's going on in the background. 
But actually, I just think that we get ourselves into a lot of trouble where we are craving after those likes. We're craving after those things that are happening. And we're really worried about the state of everything if those likes and those things that we're craving don't come. So almost in a way, we're being promised a utopia if AI comes in. You know, isn't that a good thing? You know, it frees us up to do all these different things. But if we're a slave to it, can we be healthy and can we be safe? Can we have all the things that are promised if we're too involved and actually we serve it? I, I agree on the admin side where, where actually, like for example, I know it's not quite based on AI, but actually at least technology made this recording, this podcast, tonight's conversation possible because right now I'm in central London and you are somewhere outside of central London. Actually, technology made this possible. In the middle of a national park. There you go. There you go. So, so there's definitely huge merit about it. But I... I in some way, yes, the technology has evolved in such a way that it really help us, but also at the same time, so attractive that we want, we're almost seduced by it all the time and we're spending more and more time and effort into it. But I do wonder if we get, a, get rid of all the admin side of things or the boring side of things, the frustrating side of things, the repetitive side of things, how creative can we be? Now, the reason why I ask that question is that I'm always fascinated by the creativity of the Japanese, like the, as as a as a as a country, because I grew up watching a lot of their mangas, uh, reading some of their novels, and and uh, watching their movies and cartoons and so on and so forth. And I'm always fascinated by and captured really, really emotionally and intelligently captured by their creativity in how they can create stories, can create images, characters, so on and so forth. And in some way, I don't know yet if my assumption is correct or not, but actually when I visit Japan, I, I kind of glimpse why. Because you, you've been to Japan yourself, I think, and you know how ordered they are. Like on the train, no one really speaks. They enter the train in a certain way. In certain season, everyone wear masks and um, everything is very, very ordered, structured and like properly done where sometimes it's, it's so good because it makes them so efficient and I just really admire them. But also at the same time, I feel like maybe that also spawns now why they're so creative as well, because one part of their life, they are very, very ordered and structured. So the other part almost have to break free a little bit. I'm not sure if I'm making sense. You're 100% making sense. It's it's a Because the question is, is, is again, this for me is a, is a pattern, is that how... Like when you ask the question, how creative can we actually be? You know, if you remove admin, if you, you know, people that come into your clinic, if you, let's say someone's angry at a, a parent. So I had a client angry at a parent. She's ranting and ranting and ranting and ranting about this parent. And then my question is that what would take up your time if you spend a whole of your life ranting at your parent and about your parent to absolutely everyone. But what if the parent actually gave you exactly what you wanted? What would happen then? And I think in exactly the same way here is that we, we find ourselves in a situation where what could we be if we weren't who we are now 
based on AI? And I think that's that 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 is a very interesting question. This for me comes back to yoga, which is the question that is asked: is who am I? Who am I? What is the what are the things that actually hold me in this life? What are the things? What am I here to do? What's my purpose within things? What role do I have within things? You know, and 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 posing this question through the activities that we're having. And if all of our admin is removed, if if we freed up more and more to have all this creativity, you know, what, what do we have? We've got our emotional space that we're working with and we've got our spirituality. So really, actually, this becomes the point of where creativity comes from. So you believe in if we, we can have more time away from administrative roles, we will have more time and space for spirituality, creativity, and almost exploration on that side. Okay, interesting. Because I almost somehow feel like, yes, that, that should be more time and space for those to happen. But at the same time, the almost the pressure and the frustration from the administrator will sometimes help me to be more creative. I'll give you an example. You know, you know, I have lots of exams and I'm not the biggest fan of exams. Um, and some, in some way, I will really hope that at one, one point in the future, the AI can take the exams for me because that would be fantastic. I don't think that will be allowed anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, but I actually, idea. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I think that's a brilliant idea because actually you can out because a lot of these exams, I mean, you do as a, as a, as a medical practitioner, they're all multiple choice, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> AI is going to do great, much better than me. Exactly. A perfect answer every time. Exactly. The thing is when I'm, when I'm revising, it's not the most pleasant experience. It's not the most, it's not the easiest experience either. But because I'm revising, I'm almost quite repressed. Actually, every now and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go cook something. Or you know what? I'm just going to go sing a song. You know what? Actually, I'm just going to go do some painting or drawing, whatever. It's almost in my pattern and habits. I won't generalize it to everyone. But in my pattern and habits, the, the, the pressure from these more administrative things or things that I slightly less enjoy and I really wish I can outsource to things, uh, others, especially AI, sometimes also give me the push to become more creative. This is you. And how many people actually have this, you know, with, with, with in, in so much pressure? You know, what's the pattern? What's the habit that people have? And in a way, with AI, what we can do is we can just tweak it. We can see where it's going wrong, like you said earlier, and we can tweak it a touch. We can put new algorithms in place. We can learn from this experience. But humans are quite strange. I've learned that you have to tell a human maybe five, six times the same thing until they actually change. Whereas, a, you know, it, it, it just takes a couple of questions and a, and a few changes and tweaks of things and, and AI has, has got everything changed. So how, you know, how much advice do you think we've given people, human beings to say, hey, actually, you know, just take a break from work. What are you doing working all the time? You know, just get up, walk around a touch, you know, and then, but they come back with you, you know, I can't, you don't understand. You know, it, I've got too much pressure on 
you know, I'm, I'm, it, it reminds me, you know, the, the Dalai Lama said, so, you know, he said something very interesting. He said, you know, I do this amount of meditation. And then when I'm stressed, I do twice as much meditation. And so it, almost in a way, what we tend to do is we do the opposite. And we've got this pattern of doing the opposite. So I think that you've got a very good balance on these things. I, I'm not sure, but thank you. But I actually, while I was saying that, I was just thinking, yes, but because AI learns so quickly and they almost give the answer so instantaneously, what's the emotional experience of AI? I think I've shared this story with you before, or maybe even on here before, when I was in one of the community mental health team, there was mm -hmm. this patient who came to my clinic and she's like a middle-aged, late middle-aged woman who has two grown children, been abused in her life, moved away from her country because of certain issues. So like uh, her life has a lot of hardship and almost in some sense, quite a lot of tragedies. And she came in five minutes into talking, she started crying, like properly quite crying, like really, really bad gone through a few, maybe even a whole box of tissue crying. And then 30 minutes later, we ended the conversation. And I was like, okay, well, let me see what I can do. Because at that point, I don't really know what I can do. She's already on medication. She had tried therapy before and it's she's just so sad. Mm. And then and I look back into the, the notes, which go back 10 years, maybe somewhere thereabouts, where she has actually been seen previously by two very senior consultant who are also trained in psychotherapy so tried many different treatment modality with her and i start noticing a pattern in in every single consultation which is she'll come in she cry sometime about things happening in the past sometime about things happening now sometime about things that could or could not happen in the future but but that there is a that pattern there and then i take it to my supervisor and then we kind of discuss that and realize Actually, maybe that maybe that space that she came in and cry is is the space that she need. It's about the emotional release and actually for us to sit here, still giving her some advice, treat things a little bit every now and then, but just kind of let her be who she is. Because that's we after ten years after tries of multiple very good clinicians, we couldn't change who she is. So maybe we need to adjust our expectations slightly, which is not to change, but actually just hold her as she is. But now the conversation we just had now made me think about how would an AI deal with that? I was like, would it analyze the notes? I was like, you know what? You came here for the last 10 years, still crying. Maybe you should stop. Maybe you should try this. Maybe you should try that. But, but, but I think that then that gives different levels of AI, doesn't it? So the first level is kind of like a, it, it, it's a it's sort of a, a prescriptive level of ai you know in a way it's it's a it's a sort of level that is um you know it, it focuses on on one thing one sort of and, and can't go beyond those limitations you know it's, it's the one that basically scans your number plate when you've gone in whatever and sends you the parking ticket you know so it does that sort of level of processing um then i think you've got the sort of the the more intelligent ai which is the that can sort of it can it can it can learn a, an intellectual task um that a human being can and i think that this is the area that is coming forward with chat gpt at the moment and these other sort of platforms so it's it's, it's kind of like it's, it's a much more intelligent form of ai and i think that in this area what's lacking is is the big promise which ai is looking to 
given the future, which is this idea of discrimination, the idea of being able to discern, to actually have a more ethics within the whole thing, to understand that that person is there to cry and to be held and to be supported by other human beings, and that there's nothing wrong with the diagnosis and everyone's actually trying, that actually this is the thing that actually works and holds them in their life. And this takes just a little more, quite a lot more. I think this is way in the future. That would be very exciting, I think, to have that level of intelligence. Hmm. So as you were saying, so it is more, it, would this still be based on memory then at that point of time? That, that level of AI? I don't know. I have no idea. I have mm. no idea about it. But but there's one thing I I I I just I, I I'm wondering. Just this is a question. I'm wondering why so many people are so concerned about it at the moment. Why there are numbers of different resignations going on from people. Why there are warnings that actually this is the end of humanity. I, I'm 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 just I'm just wondering about this because. There's lots of people talking about this, that we have to be so careful with regard to AI, the power and the control that it has, and whether it is inevitable that it will be used for the wrong things, or whether, you know, it, it's like nuclear power. Could it go in one direction or another direction? You know, it's, it's just, again, I, I don't know very much. I'm, I'm just posing this question because I, I think that questions are important and there seems to be numbers of people that are coming forward to say, stop this process, slow this process down, because actually it, it it almost is very competitive and it's going forward very, very quickly. And could we lose some some aspects of humanity within this process? You know, we, we know that there is issues with regard to bias. We know that it isn't neutral. We know that the results uphold bias. We know that we know that there's a lot of judgments within it. Is it that we're pushing things too far forward too quickly? So there is a lot of desire. So in yoga, we look at attachment, we look at desire, we look at identity. And looking at attachment, desire, and identity within this is that you've got something that has not got consciousness. It doesn't have discrimination. It can mimic and it can imitate conscious thing, but yet it's not conscious. It doesn't have intuition. So it doesn't know when to stop or not to stop. It just, do you see what I mean? There isn't a kind of like a flow or a rhythm within it. So I almost I like what you said earlier about the matrix is that you've, you're picking up this sort of, this is, you know, from, 2001 Space Odyssey, right the way through, all these different ideas with regard to the relationships, these relationships that we're creating and how we hand our power over to it or not to it and how we engage with it or it engages with us or we allow it to engage with us, what the boundaries are with this. And again, this is the other thing about human beings. We're so bad at boundaries. We talk about boundaries. Do you remember we did a thing on boundaries? It's really interesting. But, you know, we are very, very bad at boundaries. And actually, we're the ones that are 
programming the this thing about its boundaries. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? And we're very bad at boundaries. It's learning all of our bad habits. Yeah. And I think maybe that's precisely why it is quite scary in some way, because we don't know how much it can evolve and how how fast it can evolve because it's getting more and more and more sophisticated. Mm. It, it, when would you know that it actually doesn't have intuition? When would you know it doesn't actually have connection? We don't even know who's some who's behind it sometimes. You know, we, we're just used to surface. Actually, we don't know who's controlling it, who's putting in new data. We don't know a lot of things. And I think that in some sort of way creates a lot of doubts and creates a lot of imaginations and sometimes bad imaginations. That and makes it quite scary. If you think about it from yoga's perspective, is that the you know the starting point is is Tukuma's constriction, which is based on avidya, which is this not knowing. And we don't know. And when we don't know something, we construct a, a number of reference points and ideas which we use as identities to help us. And they have attachments and desires with them. And also they have fears associated with them as well. So actually what we see is that within this situation, we're dealing with change. You know, something is changing. And change is... A, cause for a lot of problems for a lot of people so many people say to me i'm so good at change i'm like mm -hmm. are they i'm not <laughs> and i think i don't know rather we're changing towards a better or worse or an evolving direction because it is very hard to say mm. I find I find I find one thing that these servers is not very good at doing right now is telling stories. I tried that as well earlier on because I was thinking, if I if I'm asking about how how to how do I accept emotions, how how do I acknowledge my emotions? If I ask that question to Colin, what is he going to do? He's most likely going to tell me stories because you're very good, very good storytellers. So actually, then ask ChatGPT to tell me a story about accepting and acknowledging emotions. And it's not a very good stories right now. I have to say, I have to tell you, it kind of goes into a flow of two people met, and then some one of them is really angry, and then um, because because the other person caused his anger, so the the other person went into an enchanted forest or something like that, and then talk, um, speaking and encountered a speaking talking owl, and then poor his heart out to the owl and then the owl says oh you're right to be angry it's okay to accept your emotions it's okay to acknowledge them you have to sit with them so basically kind of turn what i said earlier on into story form but i will look forward to the day that I actually start telling better stories because i think you will get there you'll get better and better and better learn about story writing and actually have the ability to do that as well so is that creativity and in which case it has to it, it reminds me of a, 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 a story that i read about um it, it was it was about rembrandt and you know rembrandt did the paintings so it took it took i think 300 odd of rembrandt's paintings this and took scans of these paintings and analyzed and actually created a new painting based on this so it, it put the algorithm in place that looked at 
what was going on within each of these 340 plus paintings and actually created a new Rembrandt based on this. So then it poses a question is that, because you see it's, it's using memory, what's happened in the past, it's using patterns, it's imitating, and it's using an algorithm as well. So the question that is posed is who gets the royalty for the sale of it? Okay, it's a serious question because it's not just happening here, it's also happening with music, it's happening with so many different things. Okay, because there's a split. Is it is it the is it the 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 bank that actually funded the whole thing and put everything in the experiment in place to say this is what we're gonna do? Or is it the engineers that actually constructed everything or was it is it the people that developed the algorithm or actually is it Rembrandt because this is do you see what I mean so this if you think about this with regard to you know tv production with regard to scripts with regard to music with regard to all these different things and in fact I think there was something done in 2019 with regard to Schubert and created it did you you saw, you know exactly with regard to the last two um, he completed the Eighth Symphony. And and I, I and just by taking all of these different things and putting it into an algorithm to complete it, there's something very interesting in Eastern art. In quite a lot of Eastern art, they'd never finish the pictures and the paintings. And they do this deliberately. And the reason that they actually do this is that this is the aspect of life. It is not complete and there's always something more. Yeah, it's called keeping the space or keeping the blank. Yeah. And very often that is part of the picture. Exactly. Because it, it allows, almost it allows imagination, it allows the stories to continue. So it's never full. As you was giving that stories about Rembrandt and Schubert, I was thinking as well. What the, I think I think there's a slight difference. Whereas it is creative, but it is creative in creating another Rembrandt or Schubert creation. Mm. But neither of those individuals needs any more creation to prove their name because they have already done it. So yes, we can copy and paste their techniques and creating more work out there. Mm. But that is not helping, for example, if I'm doing that, that's not helping me, Stanford, to make my own creation. I'm only copying and pasting someone else's work. So is that true creativity from my part or is it true creativity from Rembrandt's and Schubert parts? But creativity and new and original creativity, it, it, it's central to our society. It's central to our lives. And I don't I think you forget that. Stanford, I cannot believe you and I have talked for an hour on AI. And I feel that we could talk for another hour on AI. As always. <laughs> because you're so creative and original. It's always a pleasure to chat with you for an hour. It's good to see you. Um, take care. I'll see you in a couple of weeks. See you soon. Thanks.